Before we get to the podcast, we wanted to take a brief moment because after we were done recording, news broke that Kobe Bryant and his daughter and several other people unfortunately passed away very tragically in a helicopter accident on Sunday afternoon. So we wanted to express our condolences to everyone that's impacted in that accident. For a lot of UNC fans, they may remember that Kobe Bryant famously said that if he had gone to college, it would have been in Chapel Hill. So we wanted to take this opportunity to express, again, our sincerest condolences to everyone impacted by Sunday's tragedy. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Hello and welcome to the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. I'm your host, John Siegley. I'm joined by Sean Moran and Sherelle McMillan. Guys, we are finally doing this podcast following a UNC victory. It's been a while since we've been able to say that, unfortunately. However, UNC did get back to the winning ways with an absolute demolition of Miami on Saturday. So let's go ahead and start there. Sean, when you were watching the Miami game, why do you think UNC was able to to finally just get a huge lead on on an opponent and keep it going for the entire game? Well, I think part of it was due to just the lack of talent on Miami, especially missing their best player in in Chris Likes. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I think it showed that North Carolina hasn't given up on the season despite some very tough losses. And they came out and hit a few shots early and they were able to keep the momentum going you know i think the thing for that game and i think on the on the tv they said you know maybe it's 60 percent miami and 40 percent unc but they're moving the ball and with miami playing a zone they're getting very open shots and they're hitting those shots but at the same time i saw improvement from a few of the players especially armando bacot um so overall it was a very you know, strong game, one point, almost 1.3 points per possession. And it kind of looked like a UNC team from, you know, last year, or the the few years back. But once again, it was going against a very uh, downtrod Miami team that was struggling, but a win's a win in the ACC. And the first time we're talking after a win in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So Sherelle, what do you think this win does mean for UNC, given their struggles of late? I think that's still to be determined if they are able to um, spring what I guess would be an upset in Raleigh on Monday. Um, then you have another, <clears throat> excuse me, six days, presumably Cole Anthony could practice and maybe come back for BC. Um, so if they're able to stack a win against Miami with a win at NT state, and then Cole Anthony comes back against Boston college, then you've got, you know, potentially three wins in a row with your best player coming back. So um, it could mean something uh, if they beat State, but I think if they lose to State, then ultimately it's just kind of a blip on the radar. Um, I, I don't think I, – I really think the NC State game is that important for UNC um, just because they finally had something good happen and they should come out with a little more confidence. Um, but that's a very, very tough place to play, especially for North Carolina. So my answer is <laughs> uh, it could mean something if they're able to beat NC State, but if they're not, that, then I don't think it's – you know, anything particularly noteworthy other than Roy Williams got his 880th win and the program got to feel good again for at least a day. I think that's a pretty good take there, Sherelle, about the importance of the NC State game and UNC actually developing a winning streak. What's your thoughts on that, Sean? What do you think about UNC moving forward and and potentially using that Miami game as a sort of springboard? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think if you you look at it, you know, 
obviously just one win in 2020 in the ACC. I feel like they easily could have had two more with Virginia Tech and Clemson. And if that had happened, you know, we're talking about a middle of the pack team. But, you know, I think they should be able to get BC at home next Saturday. But once again, it's the NC State game, uh, which a rival, you'd never want to lose to NC State. Uh, You know, if this was the year, you know, I I can see NC State really gunning for them. Uh, You know, their guards are tough, but if they are able to pull off the win, then I think it'll be a good just overall momentum boost. I mean, I still think we're not really talking NCAA tournament here, but at the same time, it does it'll be a big win uh, for this season, and especially given the injuries and potentially Cole coming back when he does, uh, you know, just gets them back on the the right foot, and I think uh, you know can show general improvement from from some of the players. And in that Miami game, I mean, the standout player to me was Brendan Robinson. I thought he just had such a good game, especially coming back after missing the previous game with injury. Cheryl, who really stood out to you in this one? And who was kind of the driving force in your mind behind UNC getting the W? Yeah, Robinson seems like the the obvious one. Um, He's a senior. And I don't know, it just felt like he said, okay, enough. Like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of losing. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. And um, after he made the first his first couple of shots, you could just see his energy and his confidence. But, like, it's so strange how confidence can impact a, a team or an individual player. Because when Robinson started hitting shots, then you saw Justin Pierce go and, and, and make a three. And then you saw Leaky Black, you know, who's – I think he's made four threes now in the last two games, which is – for him, that's phenomenal. Um, so – I, you just see the intensity from Robinson kind of trickle down to the rest of the roster. So I think obviously at 29 points, he kind of made things go, but you know, Garrison Brooks was steady again. Uh, Armando Baycott had his best game up say probably since Oregon. Um, and you really got to see, and Sean can talk about this a little more, the passing um, that Baycott flashed during his AU days when he played with Hunter Dickinson. I, for those not familiar with AU, there's not many teams who play too big still. And Team Takeover, which Baycott was on as a senior, had Hunter Dickinson, who is a signee to or a commit to Michigan. And they used to do it really, really well in AAU. And I think that's something that we were looking for from Baycott that we hadn't really seen yet. <clears throat> Rob Harrington talked about it in the scouting report. And I'm curious, Sean, uh, what you saw in that regard. Yeah, well, I'd actually, before you even brought that up, Shrill, I had pulled up Rob's report because I know we were talking about that yesterday. And in one of his, one of the paragraphs on Big Cloud's assets, he said, passing is his most underappreciated talent and he's truly an excellent post passer. Um, I think that had been one of my biggest criticisms throughout the season of Baycott was that how poor of a passer he, he was um, early on. I always felt his big to big passing uh, was always a little off or not on target or resulting in a turnover. Um, So I was pretty critical of really his, his passing ability to start the year. But I think you saw it yesterday was it was spot on, you know, he was hitting Brooks, hitting other players right where they needed to be hit. And in turn, he ended up with seven assists. Um, So I think if, you know, once again, he's a freshman and a highly rated recruit. So I think everybody had, very high expectations of him of, you know, having that Oregon type performance almost every game. But in reality, he's, you know, he's not a top 10 player. So he's not going to be really that instant impact guy from the get go. And I think now we're starting to see his improvement. Uh, you know, we we're talking offline, but I love looking at Ken Palm and offensive ratings of each game. And 
over the last five games, he's had four games over a hundred ratings. So I think, you know, passing wise, you're starting to see him get a little more comfortable and that'll play huge with how him and Brooks are doing because Brooks has been the steady, the steady ship um, of the season. And I think even the Miami game, you know, he had a few shots early on where we've become accustomed to UNC struggling to score really the first four or five minutes. And he hit a few to kind of get the team going and then everybody fed off of that. So overall it was a strong performance, but enjoyed seeing the the improvement from Baycott uh, game by game. Yeah, it just looked like he and Brooks were just playing with so much confidence. I really do agree with Sherelle there that it was something that the tone was set early by Robinson and then the rest of the guys just fed off of it. Given the way that the season has gone, yes, Miami was not a good team, but this was a, an important win. It's baby steps at this point in order to actually – yeah, go ahead, Sherelle. I was just going to say, and, and more than anything, just at least for one day, like all the people around the program who um, – you know, this is their life for us. It's, it's work. And it's something that we kind of enjoy doing or talking about North Carolina basketball, but for the people whose job it is, it's not been a fun work environment the last few months. So that's the players. That's anyone in the Smith center, the coaching staff, Roy Williams, all the uh, basketball auxiliary personnel. Um, so for one day for them and the fans and anyone who follows Carolina, you know, it, at least they can say there was a, it was a good day. Cause it's been a while since they had a really good day. I think that that's a very underrated point. Definitely agree with that. I think that we've said about all we can about the Miami game. If anyone else wants to hear more about it, uh, there was the excellent post-game podcast I got posted yesterday. Encourage everyone to go listen to that pod. For now, though, we will go ahead and switch over to a new topic. Before we get to that, though, let me take a quick moment to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com, the sponsors of this podcast, and they are a longtime friend to Inside Carolina. They are where you can go to get anything that you could want for the Tar Heel fan and your family. It's cold. It's winter season. So if you need jackets, scarves, toboggans, sweaters, long t-shirts, anything at all, you can get that at Giant T-Shirt. And if you can't make it to Franklin Street, where Giant T-Shirt has been in business for decades and they have the absolute best customer service to boot, you can always shop online at GiantT-Shirt.com where you get that same great selection and the same great customer service. And do not forget that if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your orders either online at johntshirt.com or at their location on Franklin Street. You can get that 10% off code from the Tar Pit Premium Message Board or the Basketball Premium Message Board. So that is johntshirt and johntshirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, so moving on to topic number two in this podcast, guys. That's going to be the McDonald's All-American Game selections that were just announced. UNC got four players in the game. I think three of those were not too much of a surprise between Sharp, Love, and then Kessler. However, RJ Davis, he made the team, and he is putting up huge stats this season. We were talking about a little bit off the air. Sean, let's go ahead and turn it over to you because I think that was kind of the consensus between us that Davis in being included in the McDonald's All-American game, that was kind of one of the ones that maybe was not expected. But I think it's more than deserved. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, personally, I would agree. I mean, I think going in, you could kind of count three Sharp, Kessler, and Love as quote-unquote locks. Um, I think, or at least I thought Davis was on the outside looking in. Um, and I honestly didn't think that he would be nominated. Uh, so I was definitely surprised when he was. I think, you know, you never really know what all the voters are voting it on. Is it, you know, part high, high school season, part AAU, you know, reputation, et cetera. Um, but I think Davis has had a 
standout senior year. He's played in a lot of high-profile tournaments and events, and at times he hasn't shot the ball efficiently, but he's been able to to score extremely well. Um, and I think he's had a, a very strong season. So, you know, I think at times you can say, oh, you know, he's going to North Carolina or Duke, and that's why he got in. You know, I think he deserved it. Obviously, there's a few players you could probably point to that maybe got snubbed and not necessarily because Davis was on it, but I think you can always do that. And I feel pretty comfortable with him on the team. And I think at the same time, it was nice to, you know, see UNC on the the front page of ESPN with a positive headline, uh, because I think this year that's been used for a lot of negative headlines, whether it's the losses or comments. So having four guys and being able to look forward to that, um, I think is, is another positive thing for the program. I agree. And I think it's easy when rosters are announced that people just go look at the top 24 in any given class, um, the recruiting rankings. And I think we, even myself, I had to get out of that mindset because a part of what goes into rankings are pro potential. So there are players, and it goes back to what Sean said about what's the criteria being used. There are players who aren't going to be you know, first round picks or anything like that, but who are tremendous high school players and have shown so on the AU circuit and shown it at camps and showed it in high school basketball. I think Davis kind of fits that bill. I'm not saying he won't make the NBA or anything, but I think there are other players who probably have a better chance because of their measurables and their physical ability. So it goes back to what are we voting for? Are you voting for, you know, a player who's had a really good high school season and couple that with great play in the AAU circuit? If so, then Davis definitely fits the bill. Are you trying to get the top 24 players ranked in the country? Then if so, then just vote for those 24. Are you trying to get people who will be in college ball basketball next year and then be on the NBA, um, be in the NBA in two years because ESPN owns the rights to the McDonald's game, to college basketball, and to the NBA? You know, are you trying to do that? So again, it goes back to whatever the voter, individual voter's criteria is. But I definitely feel comfortable with Davis on the thing. Davis on the team. I think that he is uh, someone worthy. He's had a great season, as Sean said. Um, and you know, North Carolina with four people is only the third time in school history. So you know, Carolina is kind of reloading. Yeah, and from what I was reading, you know, four selections was the most of any other college in this year's McDonald's All-American game. That's a big accomplishment itself because we've talked about it in previous recruiting pods that, you know, UNC there for a while was viewed as not really recruiting the elite of the elite in college basketball or in high school basketball, I should say. But now, I mean, with four guys coming in that are making the team, obviously the McDonald's All-American selection is not the end-all be-all, but it is a big distinguishing mark for a lot of guys. So let's talk about just that, like the importance of this class, you know, four out of the five being on the McDonald's All-American game. Sean, what do you think this says for Roy Williams and his staff? And they're just recruiting prowess at this point. Well, I think, you know, it shows that they, you know, I think we've talked about it before, but last year there was some, some definite misses. They, they got Cole and Baycott, but they did miss on a lot of high profile guys that were interested in them versus, you know, years before where they would offer guys and there, there wasn't any interest. Um, so once again, I think having four guys, four talented guys bodes well. Um, but once again, you know, right now we've been talking about 2021 guys and how does that play into 2021? Uh, because I think, you know, the roster is going to be in flux with people graduating as well as people potentially leaving early over the next year or two. So I think it's a positive thing right now and just trying to keep that 
overall recruiting momentum going, especially during the season where it's not a typical UNC season. Um, and I could see, you know, that shine start to fade a little bit, but I think with the four McDonald's All-Americans, it'll keep their name in a positive light, uh, especially looking forward to, to next season. Yeah, Sherelle, how does something like this kind of go on the AAU circuit? Is this something that other players that are on teams now in high school, maybe their coaches, their families, is this really something that they're going to notice and say, hey, UNC just landed four guys that are on the McDonald's All-American team. Maybe that does make Carolina more appealing to them. Just what's your sense of how that goes? Um, you know, maybe if it's a deep tiebreaker when they're trying to figure out where they might go to school, uh, I, I, you know, overall, I don't think it's that big of a deal for, um, the next class. I, I think they're looking at most things that elite players are looking at, which is playing time opportunity. Um, they'll say chance to win a championship that's up there. That's the kind of thing that they're looking at most. How have they used, um, players like me at my position in the past, that's the kind of thing, you know, I don't think the McDonald's game sways it that much. Um, though I did read a story that was pretty interesting. Um, I think it was the Alabama paper or the Atlanta journal constitution, one of the two, but basically Bruce Pearl said that Sharif Cooper, who was a signee to Auburn basically was going to hold off on signing with Auburn because he thought being an Auburn signee would hurt his chances of making the game um, from a political standpoint. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, but in the end, I, I don't think that has much to do with, uh, decisions or impacts decisions in 2021 all right good stuff guys let's go ahead and take another quick commercial break when we get back we have a little bit more recruiting news to dive into with a brand new scholarship opera that went out as well as an upcoming recruiting event for this week's game against boston college so stay tuned we will be right back after this we are back with the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. John Siegley here with Sean Moran and Trell McMillan. Guys, moving over to the brand new offer that just went out to five-star forward Caleb Houston. He is out of Montverde, Florida. I think that's a name that a lot of people listening to this podcast have heard Sean and Sherell mention before. Let's just go ahead and get a quick overall profile for Houston. So, um, Sean, do you want to step up and kind of Tell the listeners what type of player he is and if you've viewed any of his games during his AAU and high school career. Yeah, so Houston is, he stands 6'7", about 190, small forward, currently rated number 19 in the class of 2022. So technically that is the first offer in the class of 2020, 2022, but I think it's widely suspected that he will be reclassing into the 2021 class, which would put him, I think, at his what should be his normal uh, normal class. Uh, he's from Canada. He's been at Mount Montverde. Um, in terms of his overall ability, he played for the uh, U16 FIBA Americas Canadian team this past year, and they lost to the T- uh, USA team in the championship. Uh, throughout the tournament, he averaged close to 23 points and uh, five rebounds a game. And then you can see him at Mount Verde, which is probably one of well, it is the top high school team in the country. And, you know, I know there have been articles lately of how good is this team overall. And he's been, I think he averaged around 11 points at the City of Palms. And he's been, you know, kind of a, a very strong option for a senior-laden team. So overall, his strengths are his, his size and shooting. I think he look, he seems like a pretty high IQ basketball player. Uh, he only shot 32% from three in the FIBA tournament. But 
you can tell just from his free throws and his shot, he has the mechanics and the backspin and everything looks pretty good. So I would consider him a pretty high level shooter. I think uh, he, he knows how to get to the line. He knows how to attack. I would say his weakness is his overall explosiveness and athleticism. Um, you know, sometimes right now he's, he can avoid getting a shot blocked, but doesn't necessarily get that, you know, great lift uh, when he's jumping off one foot or two foot by the basket. So I think that's kind of why you see him most likely be in once, if he does reclass in that four-star range. Uh, but at the same time, I think for UNC to offer him now is, is a good move and an aggressive move and something, you know, with Dayron being at, at Montverde, they've seen him a lot and are comfortable with him. Uh, Oregon was his first scholarship offer, but overall it was kind of a big news this week. And, you know, I think a, a good sign of just, you know, how UNC isn't, always late to the party and this time they're they're pretty early on for for houston so sherelle do you have any player observations to add to what sean said or do you want me to go ahead and ask you the next question i had kind of in the barrel for you no um the thing with houston and we'll have more in a couple days um if you're not a premium subscriber check it out um you just at least try the free trial and subscribe because uh there's pretty good information that comes out there so i don't want to say too much but um, he is an interesting player by all accounts. Um, we've spoken to some people over the last couple of days who, who know him well. I think what Sean said is spot on. The first thing they really talked about was his shooting prowess. And they made sure to caution us that, you know, the role he plays for Montverde is very different from the role that he plays with um, Canadian basketball. Um, and I think that's, you know, something that is fairly unique for players. I mean, he's been in the Canadian basketball program for five or six years now, since he was very, very young, they have a, a very different system than I think we do here in the United States. So that was something that was pretty intriguing that we'll have more about. Um, and then just that North Carolina kind of did this um, secret, not secretly, but he wasn't a player that was really on our radar that they were interested in. And we kind of found out just before <laughs> um, the offer happened. If you look on the premium board, you can see Ben's note about, kind of walking you through the timeline. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll have more in the next couple of days, but I, I do think he is a very talented player. I think the fact that they went ahead and offered shows you just how much they um, are interested in him as a player. And then, um, you know, he's Dayron Sharp's roommate, actually, in Mount Verde. So I think there is a component there that needs to be explored, too, about how much uh, Dayron is influencing him and how much that maybe went into uh, the offer. But that information should be coming in the next couple of days and we'll have that up um on ic good stuff man well the question i was going to ask you was your instant reaction to hearing about the offer you kind of preemptively answered me already so instead i will ask that question to sean so sean when you heard that unc had actually offered a scholarship to houston what was your reaction then i was pretty surprised and and i definitely watched mount Verde a few times and and knew the name but wasn't as familiar as I would have been, you know, somebody where UNC goes and, and watches him and it's reported. And then, you know, a little while after there's a scholarship offer. So um, I was kind of surprised. But then when I realized he was most likely reclassing into 2021, it it made more sense, especially since I had seen him at uh, City of Palms, as well as uh, the Hoopal Classic most recently, as well as, you know, probably the practices or open gym sessions that they've seen of Montverde. But you know, when watching him, he's a, you know, the height is, the height's great at six, seven, and who knows if he's going to grow anymore as well as the the shooting stroke. So, you know, for me, I was, I was excited to just have 
UNC offer him. And, you know, I think it's been exciting to see who they've offered really over the last few weeks, uh, you know, them being pretty aggressive on that front of getting out and watching games, which they always do, but, but then expanding the offer list. And, you know, right now it's really going across all, um, all positions from point guard up through, up through center with Chet Holmgren. So it'll be interesting to see who they continue to, to look at going forward. And so there are a few players who I think um, kind of jumping on what Sean said, who they are showing more interest in that have kind of come up on the radar in the last week. So there's uh, Eric Vanderheiden, who is a forward in Raleigh. Um, then there, we talked about Holmgren. We talked about Keels. Then there's Zach Clements, who plays for Sunrise Christian Academy in Kansas, who is another player. Um, and I think what you start to see is Roy Williams really going aggressively after big men and big men who can shoot. Uh, I think he never wants to experience uh, the struggle of this season as far as scoring again. And so all the players that they've either offered or interested in, I think the common thing is that their offense is way ahead of their defense. There's no defensive specialist or someone who's just okay in offense. Like all of these guys seem to be pretty dynamic offensive players. So I, I think that's a trend uh, to watch moving forward is that they want to continue to restock and they want to avoid a situation like this year where they're struggling to score kind of at all costs. Sure. Let me ask you a follow-up question about Houston's reclassification that Sean touched on. First off, why is it a seemingly something that, why is Houston such a candidate to reclassify? And then the second part of the question is if he does reclassify, what does that mean for UNC's recruiting 2021? So just touch on those two things. Um, I think part of it is he's from Canada, and a lot of the players who come down from Canada, they kind of automatically reclass. Not all of them, but a few of them. Um, I think it's just so they can get used to basketball in the United States. And then, depending upon how they're trending, they can decide, um, you know, usually around this time, whether or not they want to stay in the class they're in or go back to their natural class. So that's the situation with Houston. And, um, again, not to give away too much, but, you know – that's kind of the expectation, but no decision on that has been made really either way um, based upon just talking to some people um, that'll be in the story slash information that we'll have out on the premium message board in the next couple of days. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and then two, I'm trying to remember your question and I completely forgot. Uh, we can edit this out, I guess. No, no problem. We'll just keep it going, man. Uh, the, the second part of the question was, if he does reclassify, what does that mean for the class of 21 recruiting? Oh, not not much at this point because um, they haven't offered um, – they've only offered one other kind of wing in the class, which is Trevor Keels. So generally, you're not going to get the one player you offer at a position. You know, it takes a couple, maybe three offers at a position to get a person. So I don't think it will impact it that much. They still – Desperate, not desperately, but they still really need a wing in the 2021 class because if you look at the depth chart right now, um, based upon who they have, you'll probably have Leaky Black as a senior and just Puff Johnson as a sophomore. And you need a little more depth than that. You need a little more versatility than that. So it won't impact it too much. Um, it'll be an offer right there with Keels, and then maybe they look at another wing or two um, once the AAU season starts. Yeah, I think for the 2021 class, as we talked about, it's kind of forming into shape as to who the top priorities are. Um, so I think, as Sheryl mentioned, Keels was offered recently. And, you know, he stands 6'4 and is a stellar three-point shooter as well. But now you have a guy 6'7. Um, and he'll, he played on the U16AU circuit last year. So he'll be moving up to the U17. So we'll be able to get a good look at him uh, coming up in the spring. But 
I think going back to last week, we were kind of talking about, you know, where do the other wing prospects come from? Because we were looking at Keels and then you were kind of going down the list and didn't seem like there are a whole lot of options, at least right now. And here's one that kind of appeared almost out of nowhere, which I think, well, you know, we'll see a few others depending on how people play in the spring. But here's a guy at, at six seven that, you know, I would say could most likely turn into their top target on the wing for the class of 2021. And now moving to the upcoming recruiting event, which is happening against Boston College later on this week. Let's go ahead and just talk about the importance of these type of weekends. Let, let's start there before we actually get, get into which players may show up, because, you know, I know that Coach Williams and his staff, they really like to use these events as a way to get the recruits on campus, just to get them familiar with, you know, the, the staff, the players, the whole basketball family, the process, everything with that. So, Sherelle, let's go ahead and get your thoughts on that first off. Just having covered this for so long, how does the staff really like to use the recruiting events like what's coming up against BC? Uh, just as a chance for the players to really experience everything that is Carolina basketball. Um, so typically they sit on the baseline to the right of uh, the UNC bench, kind of in front of the student section, and they'll get a chance just to interact with, you know, any alumni who might be there, famous players, anything like that. The coaching staff, they're up close so they can see how Coach Williams and his staff handle the team during a game. They can see those interactions and then they get a chance to go back and in, into the locker room and listen to, you know, the post game thought of the day and listen to whatever Coach Williams has to say. And they meet some of the, um, you know, basketball support personnel, tour the museum typically, and then usually have a conversation uh, with their lead assistant and or Coach Williams, depending upon, you know, how many other people are there. So it's just a chance for them to see everything up close and um, really, uh just learn more about the program because it's when you watch it on TV is one thing, but to be there in person and to hear and to see and be in the atmosphere, it's a little bit different. So that's typically what they use it for. All right. And then Sean, what are your thoughts on how important these type of events are for recruits going through the recruiting process? I think overall they're very important, but not the be all and end all. I think it's important to, especially early on for some of these guys to get them onto campus, especially if they're not from North Carolina, uh, they get to see the Dean Dome, see it in action, you know, see the museum, et cetera. So it kind of goes from, oh, you know, I'm being recruited by North Carolina or I have interest in North Carolina to really showing that there is strong mutual interest on both sides. And we've had success going back years to, I think it was Justin Jackson and Joel Berry, et cetera, kind of coming in in this February timeframe. Uh, but then at the same time, you can go back to Last year, Zaire Williams, who really wanted to get out, get back to Chapel Hill and wanted his, his parents to experience it for the first time and everything went well and, you know, things kind of fall off a little bit. So overall, I'd say it's very important just to get the kids on campus as well as their their parents. Um, and that way, it's kind of just one step closer, especially going into the spring AAU season of knowing, hey, this is legit interest on both sides rather than hey, there's an offer out there, we're really interested, but, you know, most likely it's not going to happen. Uh, so, you know, I think it's, you know, using these next few weeks to get uh, get guys on campus will be important and just kind of another good momentum booster going into the spring AU season. And so, Sherelle, what type of coverage will Inside Carolina have going into this recruiting event? And also, who are one or two recruits that you might be expecting to see in Chapel Hill as we stand here on Sunday? So we'll have just coverage, you know, generally 
of uh, the players who attend. Usually we try to do a, you know, just a quick wrap up, like tell me about the day, what you saw, you know, what was Coach Williams' message to you, that kind of thing. Um, and then um, Walker Kessler is kind of the headliner, I would say. Uh, obviously UNC's 2020 signing, he was the highest rated uh, according to the 24 sports composite, but because of some ranking changes elsewhere, Dayron Sharp has now taken over that crown as the highest ranking player according to the composite rankings in Carolina's class. Um, but it'll be, I believe, um, and I'll have to go look at this, but I believe it'll be his first game in the Smith Center because when he officially visited, it was September, and that was the week before Late Night with Roy. So he'll, what we were just talking about, what Sean was saying, he'll get all of that for the first time. And then there's another player uh, from Concord, North Carolina, underclassman DJ Nix, who also will be taking an official visit. And there's still a few other names that we are kind of poking around to see if they're coming. Some players are mulling a visit. Uh, so we'll see uh, if any names are added uh, before Saturday. All right. Good stuff, guys. We will go ahead and wrap up the podcast with that. Thanks a lot for talking to me and hope that you guys have a great rest of your Sundays. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.